Hey everyone, and welcome back to your Linux and open source news podcast. This time we have a lot of stuff to talk about. The first one will be about GNOME getting a 1 million euro grant to fund this desktop. We also have Amazon working on their own Linux-based operating system for their smart devices. We have the release of the Steam Deck OLED. We have some new icons being worked on for Plasma 6. And we have some details about Ubuntu's immutable distro, which looks sort of interesting if you like immutable distros. So as always, all the links I use to make this show are in the show notes of this episode, and all the links to support the show and to keep it going are also in the show notes. So let's get started. So first will be GNOME. GNOME just got a big investment from a tech fund called the Sovereign Tech Fund, which apparently is a funding organism supported by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action. Don't ask me why this specific ministry of Germany decided to, through their own funding organism, fund the GNOME desktop and not the KDE Plasma desktop, which is mostly worked on by a company based in Germany. I do not know. What I'm sure of is that it's 1 million euros, which is a huge sum for any open source project out there, especially for a desktop environment. And so with this gigantic sum of money. Gnome will have the resources they need to actually improve a lot of stuff, but not just for Gnome. Uh, First, they're going to use it to fund their new accessibility stack, which I talked about uh, previously in a previous episode. Basically, the current implementation of accessibility uh, kind of relies on the very bad security model of X11 to actually inject some actions and code in a running app. You can't do that under Wayland and with Flatpak apps. And so the current accessibility model is completely broken uh, for stuff like immutable distros and for like more modern distributions that focus on that newer Linux stack. There's a new accessibility framework being proposed, which is basically push-based, much like what Chrome uh, or Chromium-based browsers are doing where the the browser itself, the tab itself, is pushing its accessibility tree to an API that then reads it and can add features on top of that, like, for example, a screen reader. So this new accessibility stack will be funded thanks to this grant, which is very nice because it means that GNOME will be more accessible to more users. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be developed in a sort of desktop agnostic way, which means that it should also benefit other desktops. Now, second, GNOME will also try and provide an encryption feature for individual home user directories. Currently, you either install a distro and you pick the encryption on or off. And it's full disk encryption. The whole disk is encrypted in one pass. If you unlock it, you unlock the whole disk. GNOME wants to provide an encryption method, probably from GNOME itself, where you can just encrypt your own home user directory, which you would then unlock when you log in into your account, which is not a bad feature to have. It's how a bunch of other operating systems do things as well. And I think it's interesting. They also want to increase, they say at least, the range and quality of GNOME's hardware support. Not exactly sure what this means. The flaws I can see currently with GNOME is maybe NVIDIA support. Uh, They don't work as well as they could with NVIDIA drivers. They are not bad, but that's not perfect. Whether they can fix that on their end or whether it's an NVIDIA-related stuff, I don't know. 
I can also see uh, mobile devices and tablets. Maybe they're going to use it to make sure that all their default apps and their frameworks and their tooling works on any single device form factor. Maybe it's to work on fractional scaling, on touchscreens. Not sure. It could mean any number of things. Uh, they also want to invest in quality assurance uh, and developer experience. So basically making sure that everything is well tested automatically as much as possible and making sure that developers who contribute to GNOME or work with GNOME tools to make applications have the best experience. It's, it's an, a normal focus point because you want more developers to make more apps for your desktop and you also want to draw more developers to contribute to GNOME. So the better your tooling is, the better your frameworks are, the more people you're going to draw in. And they also said they want to use this money to help expand the free desktop APIs, which if you don't know is basically what every major Linux desktop is based on. It's what allows apps from various desktops and even multi-desktop distros. If you have, for example, GNOME and KDE installed, it allows all these desktops to sort of respect the same conventions which means that they work in sort of the same way. They're not going to mess up your files. They're going to save stuff in their respective spots and stuff like that. So expanding this set of APIs will be good because not only will it benefit GNOME, it's going to let it do more things, but it's also going to standardize more things for other desktops. So they're not just hoarding the money to work on GNOME. They're also working on stuff that might benefit other projects as well, which is really cool. Now, in terms of timing... You might think that it's the work of the new executive director, Holly Million. She was recruited like probably a month ago and it just happens to get a big grant. So you would say, hey, maybe she did her work really well. I'm pretty sure this sort of deal takes a bit longer to broker than the time Holly Million has been at GNOME. I'm not saying it's not her, it's not her work, but I'm pretty sure that this was probably in the cards before she happened uh, to be recruited by GNOME. Apparently, the project also credited Tobias Bernard and Sonny Pierce, who are two very prolific GNOME contributors and project members. So it's probably more happenstance that this deal happened at almost the same time as the arrival of the new executive director from GNOME. Now, anyway, this is a huge deal. It's a huge sum of money. It should help make GNOME more robust, better, more accessible, work on more devices. It's great news for GNOME, but it's also great news for the Linux desktop in general because it recognizes that these projects, the Linux desktop, are important and deserving of some money and some funding to actually help people use computers better. I'm not sure what the German ministry wants out of this. I know that Germany has an on or off relationship with Linux and FOSS, a bunch of their cities or municipalities or uh, I think they're called like a federal lender. Uh, I think it's basically like they're small states inside of Germany. Uh, some of them have, sw have switched to Linux and switched back to Windows and switched back to Linux. I think, I think Munich is one big example of this. So they really do seem to want to actually use a Linux distro and move out of under Microsoft's umbrella. But maybe that's the only way they found like, hey, let's let's give them a lot of money so we can make sure that they work on stuff to improve the experience. And then we can say, OK, it's good enough for us and, and we're going to use it daily. Not sure if that's how it works and why they did that. But in any case, it's great news. Now, our second topic for this episode will be Amazon. And they're apparently looking uh, to build a replacement for Android for their line of smart TV, smart displays 
and other devices that aren't tablets. Uh, Amazon has a line of tablets. They are called, I think, Fire something, like Fire, Fire tablet. I don't know. It's the Amazon Fire 7.9 inches, 10 inches, whatever. It's tablets running a heavily modified version of Android with the Amazon App Store, their own interface, ads everywhere, and typical Amazon fashion. They are like bargain bin uh, tablets, cheap hardware, not high quality, a very basic OS funded by ads. It's basically a portal to buy stuff from Amazon in one click. Uh, th that's the goal of these things. These things will keep running Androids with the Amazon App Store. But for their smart TVs, smart displays and stuff like that, they want to move away from Android. And so they're going to build a Linux based operating system codenamed Vega. They apparently tasked hundreds of people in their device operating system group to build this thing, including a former Mozilla engineer that was recruited relatively recently by Amazon. Uh, sources say that most of that OS development is already done, and it's expected to ship on TVs early next year, along with an SDK for developers to build applications, because you can have the best operating system for your smart TV if you don't have a Netflix app. And, well, I guess Amazon Prime they would have because, like, it's Amazon, so obviously they're going to develop their own app. But if you don't have Netflix, if you don't have, like, Hulu, HBO, or whatever other streaming service people use in various parts of the world, your product might as well not exist. Like, it, it's useless without access to these streaming services because these are the things people actually want to use on these devices. So I'm pretty sure they already have some developers on board because you wouldn't ship a smart TV without a Netflix app, for example. It, it would make zero sense. Uh, I'm sure they're going to have a harder time to convince uh, Apple and maybe others to actually develop stuff like that. But we'll see. Their, their toolkit apparently uses React Native. So it's basically a JavaScript framework. A lot of people know how to make this work. It's probably a good choice for everything web video streaming related. A lot of developers are very familiar with this sort of technology, so building an app for their platform is probably not too hard. And yes, of course, this OS isn't meant to kill Android, because good luck with that, I don't know if it's even possible nowadays, uh, but it's still another nice use of Linux on consumer products, so I guess it's a good thing. And now we're gonna talk about this episode's sponsor, Thunderbird. You all know about Thunderbird, it's a fantastic app available for Windows, for macOS, for Linux. It had some UI and UX problems in the past, but they're mostly all fixed nowadays uh, with their latest release. And I must say, Thunderbird has become my email, calendar, and contacts client of choice, even before uh, Thunderbird proposed uh, to sponsor this show or any video on my YouTube channel. I had already moved to their new release when, when it released because it's really awesome. You can completely customize it. You can put any button you want in the header bar. You can change the information density. It looks much better than it did before. If you're a GNOME user on Linux, it integrates really well with it. There's even some kind of unofficial theme you can install, much like for Firefox, to make it look more like a GNOME application. You have tons of plugins you can install, and they're even working on better stuff like Thunderbird Sync. It's not there yet, but it's gonna happen, and it's gonna let you sync all your tags, organization, folders, settings, and rules between computers and also with the upcoming Android app for Thunderbird, and maybe even the iOS app when it releases. They only just started working on this one, so it's still a long ways away. So Thunderbird is an awesome application. I couldn't be happier to have them as a sponsor. If you have given Thunderbird a shot 
back in the day, it wasn't for you, give it a try right now. The new version is really, really awesome. Once you take like five minutes to customize the interface to your needs, it's really powerful and super cool. I left a link to it uh, in the show notes so you can download it as a flat pack. But of course, if you go on their website, you have all the other downloadables for any other operating system. Really awesome app. And thanks to them for sponsoring this episode. Now, it's time to talk about Plasma 6 again, and it looks like it's still full of surprises because it might get a revamped icon theme as well. Well, parts of an icon theme. Now, the main focus for the proposal seem to be folder icons. Folder icons being less square than what they're currently in Plasma, looking a bit like the Cora icons, if you know this theme, with more rounded corners, not as rounded as Cora, but more rounded than the current Breeze theme. The default color is still blue. You would expect these folders to still follow your accent color as they do right now. And you also have the slew of icon-specific folders for the desktop, pictures, movies, audio, and a lot more applications. You're going to have this custom embossed icon in front of the folder. And folders that don't have an icon seem to have a horizontal stripe, a black stripe, uh, at the bottom third of the folder. This is being discussed. It looks like some people don't think it's great when you're using certain accent colors. So maybe they're going to have to change the color of the stripe depending on the color of the folder as well. But they look pretty good. It's still only for folders for now. I would be surprised if the rest of the icons did not get refinements along the life of Plasma 6, along the same design lines as what they're doing on the folders. Plasma 6 already had some changes to how they handle icon theme, especially for the notification tray, where you will always default to symbolic icons instead of having full color ones if your panel is too big or, or a mix of some full color icons and some symbolic. The, the notification tray will always look super weird because it's a notification tray. It's never gonna look good, but it looked really bad on KDE before. It won't on Plasma 6 at any panel size, which is good. And so they're gonna refine other icons. I'm sure that along the life of Plasma 6, we'll see refinements to a lot of other icons along the same lines with a more modern design. The Breeze icon theme, I would say, is pretty good right now. It's not bad at all, but it could use a refresh, just like the Breeze theme for applications could also use some touch-ups here and there to feel a little bit less heavy with less separators between elements in applications and stuff like that. So... It looks like it's gonna go the way KD usually does things, which is incremental refinements, testing them with users, seeing what works, what doesn't, iterating on it, instead of dropping one giant major change on top of users and then catching up for four cycles trying to make it better. Uh, it's still just a proposal as well. It might not make it. Uh, it will be discussed. This is generally how KD proceeds for every change, visually impacting change. So it, it looks like they're not going to piss off the community by making giant changes that people don't like. And yeah, it's, it's like KD proceeds for the whole of Plasma 6 as well. I think it's the best choice for a project as complete and full of options as KDE. It's probably better to refine things slowly than to completely break stuff that people are using or relying upon. For that project, it's a better way of doing things. Now, still on Plasma 6, the alpha is now out, with the complete feature freeze being planned for the 29th of November, which means developers still have about two weeks to add things before only bug fixes are accepted in this new release. 
And apparently this alpha is pretty stable already. It obviously has a bunch of issues. It's an alpha, they moved to Qt6, they refined their whole KD frameworks, they changed a lot of stuff in how the backend of the desktop works. There won't be that many giant visual changes compared to KDE 5, but it's a lot of under the hood changes. So obviously it's not completely stable, but it's apparently usable, very usable already. And if you want to try it out, you can already download KDE Neon. I think it's in the developer edition, maybe even in the unstable edition. I would personally recommend you don't use it yet on a production system, just in case, unless you don't care about crashes and data loss, because, well, it's an alpha. But if you want to give the project a hand, you can try it out. The, the main things you'll see in Plasma 6, for now, are the Wayland session by default, with many, many, many improvements to how Wayland works on KDE, especially with KWIN. If it crashes, it won't kill all your applications now, which is a major cool change that was really needed. There's color management and HDR for certain games being implemented, if you use the Wayland session. There's the unification of a bunch of widget styles with Kirigami and stuff like that. It's all gonna look more in line, you're not gonna see as many inconsistencies in the desktop. The desktop cube effect is back. There's a better panel configuration interface to change how your panels work, and these panels are now floating by default. There's a merging of the overview effect and the desktop grid to have less duplication of functionality. There's a much improved Discover App Store with better ratings, better search, and a better way to present applications. There's a reorganized settings sidebar because every desktop update needs to change how the settings are laid out. There's colorblindness correction filters. There's a lot of stuff in there. So it's only a bit more than three months before the final release. It's going to be very, very nice to give it a big shot, especially for Wayland users. And I think with the release of Plasma 6, I'll start making a video series on how to use Plasma, but a very in-depth series, like how to customize your panel, how to change the whole themes, how to add widgets, how to use certain hidden features, create window rules, like maybe a definitive KDE Plasma user guide. I wanted to do that for a long while, but I could not really do it on Plasma 5 because the guide would have been obsoleted when Plasma 6 released, and we didn't know at the time when it was going to release. So I'll do it with Plasma 6. It's gonna take a few months for me to have the complete guide, but I think it's gonna be very interesting uh, for a lot of people to really delve deep into how Plasma works. Now, this week we also got a big update to Ubuntu Touch, which is now called Lomiri, I think. I'm not sure if Lomiri is just the name of the community or the name of the project as well. It, it, it's a complex naming scheme, like with all open source projects. It's, to me, it's always going to be Ubuntu Touch. It's the project for smartphones that Ubuntu started, then abandoned, then gifted to the community, and it still gets support. So this update called OTA3 now offers official images for the PinePhone, the PinePhone Pro, the PineTab, the PineTab 2, but it also adds initial Snap application support, which means there's gonna be a unified packaging format for distributing apps on Ubuntu Touch, and that's actually pretty cool. If you don't mind Snaps, I guess, but I think these formats work really well on phone operating systems because you don't need to delve as deep in them uh, as on a desktop, you don't need all the different little customization and, and options that you can find on regular packages, usual. Now, Ubuntu Touch also gains the ability to search within conversations in the Messages app, 
You can also now disable vibration from specific apps or from all notifications. They fixed copy-pasting between applications, which was broken ever since they had moved the base of Ubuntu Touch to Ubuntu 20.04. And yes, it's still on 20.04, not 22.04. Ubuntu Touch is usually a lot further behind uh, in terms of kernel and internals than the regular Ubuntu distro. They, they're not even close. They also redesigned the system settings. There's a new structure for the security and privacy pages. They updated their web browser that I think is called Morph. Uh, it now has a switch to change how the website is displayed between mobile mode and desktop mode. You can also choose to load images automatically in websites or not if you want to save some data while browsing. But even more importantly, they updated their support for WayDroid. If you don't know, WayDroid is a way to run Android applications on Linux. It's GPU accelerated, unless you're using an NVIDIA GPU, which seems to create issues, uh, but it lets you run Android apps, virtually any Android app, uh, assuming they don't need the uh, Google Play services, although I'm pretty sure you can install an image of WayDroid that has these Google Play services, and so you can run any Android app, whether it's games or not, you can play those things, you can use those apps on your desktop, and it's pretty cool on desktops, but it's really way cooler on Linux smartphones, because let's be honest, these things, if they don't have apps, will never see any use from anyone, even the most diehard Linux fans. If you need a smartphone, if you don't have at least a sizable library of apps you can install, then you're not going to be satisfied with a Linux phone, whether it's Ubuntu Touch, Plasma Mobile, Forge, Gnome Mobile, whatever else, it's not gonna work for you at all. So support for WayDroid in Ubuntu Touch is really, really cool. Now they also added stuff like USB tethering to some supported devices like the Fairphone 4, and this whole update can be installed on a bunch of phones, but the notable well-known ones are the Fairphone 3 and 4, the Pixel 3a and 3a XL, the OnePlus 5, 5T, 6 and 6T, and a bunch of Volaphones and Xiaomi phones uh, that you can get this update on. And I think it's interesting, I still want to do a, a deeper look into how Linux mobile phones have evolved and if they can be used, but the only ones I think I could look at are the ones that actually support WayDroid and Android apps, because if not, it's just a niche thing that nobody is ever going to care about. Like, let's be honest, it's not a smartphone if it doesn't have access to applications. Now, still on Ubuntu, but on the Ubuntu desktop side of things this time, we have a bunch of details on the relatively new, well, brand new Ubuntu Core desktop. Ubuntu Core already existed as some sort of server-like distro that you would install. Uh, it doesn't have a UI or a desktop session installed. It's just the bare-bones system of Ubuntu. It's meant to run on Internet of Things devices, uh, like smart home appliances and stuff like that, uh, and small home servers and things. But now they're working on Ubuntu Core Desktop, which is basically going to be Ubuntu's immutable distro using Snaps, of course, instead of Flatpak, because generally immutable distros use Flatpak, because an immutable distro is generally something you can't write or modify, like the system is mounted read-only, and so you can't install apps using regular packages, or at least not that easily, it's not meant to. You're meant to install apps in your user directory using Flatpak. And so for Ubuntu, of course, they are not going to use Flatpak for that, they're going to use Snaps. Now, like Ubuntu said, this is not going to replace the current Ubuntu desktop 
anytime soon, maybe ever, it will coexist with the normal regular Ubuntu release that is still Debian package based. Uh, what Ubuntu Core Desktop is, is just a Ubuntu desktop session, a graphical session on top of Ubuntu Core. So the benefits are the same as with any immutable distro. It's better stability because it's way higher, it's way harder to mess up your system with a bad library, a bad install, a bad package, or, or a bad third-party repo. The file system is read-only, so you're not going to install anything willy-nilly. You can still lay your packages, but it's done in a way that is probably not going to break your system. All apps are confined and sandboxed, just like system services. This is also a more manageable sort of system because the system is updated through complete images. So all your systems will be basically the same. They will be easier to manage if you have a big fleet to handle and updates are atomic, which means you also keep the previous image, uh, at least one previous image. So if something goes wrong with your update, you can always roll back to the previous image and keep all your applications, all your data, all your settings. You just bypass the bad update and you always have a bootable system. And on top of these base advantages that are basically the same for every single immutable distro, Ubuntu Core Desktop does a few unique things. Uh, notably, they're using snaps instead of Flatpak, of course, but the distro has also been split into five main layers. Uh, all of these layers are shipped as snap packages, by the way. There's the kernel, of course, you need that. There's the bootloader and encryption layer plus snapd, which is the second layer. Then you have the minimal bootable system called the boot base, probably just including like stuff like systemd and, and, uh, and uh, other GNU tools that you can add on top of that. Then you have the desktop session with a login manager, a visual desktop. It's going to be Wayland and Gnome. And there's, there's the, and then there's the additional bases, which are applications and all the frameworks that they need to run. Everything, as I said, is provided as a snap, including the kernel and the bootloader. And this also includes a potential kernel that ships with NVIDIA drivers immediately pre-packaged with this snap package. And this also means that if the desktop session doesn't suit your needs, you can replace it by another one or by a beta version, an edge channel, without replacing anything else. You don't have to switch to a brand new base to test the latest release of GNOME and Wayland, for example, that Ubuntu is working on. You'll be able to just switch that Ubuntu desktop session to the edge channel and get beta updates to just that part of your system but not the boot layer and not the applications. This will also embark the recent beta TPM-backed full disk encryption. So basically encrypting your whole disk using the TPM chip instead of typing a passphrase. And this new Ubuntu Core desktop will also integrate with LXD containers, which are another canonical and Ubuntu project to allow for software development on Ubuntu Core desktop, because obviously, if you can't install any library you want on your system relatively easily, what you want is a container. So you keep your base system simple and nice and clean and all your dev work is done inside of a container, including your IDE, which is located in the container as well. And so you can mess up your whole system if you want to. You can always create another container or, re or just restore a backup of your previous container. And of course, Ubuntu Core Desktop will support Ubuntu Landscape, which is the fleet management tool of Canonical, something that should probably silence most people who say that, hey, for Linux, you can't really like manage multiple deployments for distributions because at least if you use Ubuntu, you have Ubuntu Landscape. It does exactly that. 
uh, and it will also support Microsoft Active Directory. It's not ready yet. Uh, it's, it's still in the works. There's still five or six months uh, to be had for development and to have a first release. There are a bunch of blockers like creating the ISO, installing that ISO, uh, missing documentation and more. But I think it's an interesting spin on Ubuntu, especially for people who want an immutable distro, but maybe more enterprise focused than what is currently on offer. Because for now, if you look at various immutable distros, they look like they are not specifically targeting companies to be deployed. They're targeting individual developers or enthusiasts or users. Ubuntu has that whole company backing behind it. And so if they really push this kind of system, integrate it with all their tooling, like landscape and stuff like that, then maybe it's finally going to take off. And maybe it also gives a real purpose to snaps because snaps right now are not my preferred packaging format. They're also not the preferred packaging format of a lot of people. But if it's used for the entire system, then it sort of makes sense. And it might also give them a larger test bed to actually improve snaps and snap packaging and making snaps communicate better, start faster, integrate better with each other. I think it's a good thing to have this in the works because it can only push all these set of technologies forward or prove that they actually can't work if that's the case. Who knows? Uh, it's an interesting project. Now, still on distros, this week we had the release of Fedora 39. Uh, this one had been pushed back multiple times. It was supposed to come out at the end of October. It released on the 7th of November and it brings a bunch of changes. I already covered a lot of these in a dedicated video on my YouTube channel. Uh, but here's a small recap for people who only like uh, audio. So you get the Linux kernel 6.5, which has a lot of performance improvements for a lot of different CPUs. It has a better, no, not the scheduler yet, uh, but it does have some performance improvements for Intel and for AMD. I am pretty sure Fedora 39 will move to the kernel 6.6 .6 in time because Fedora always seems to use the latest kernel available. It also embarks GNOME 45 and all of its new features. We already covered these a lot. There's the new workspaces indicator instead of the plain old activities button. There's a new keyboard brightness quick setting. There's better background app support. You can now click on one to open a window. There's a new little spinner indicator when you're closing one. There are a lot of improvements to libadvita apps with a split header bar design. There's better Nautilus search, a better column view, a more robust calendar app a new image viewer that supports touchpad and touchscreen gestures. There's a lot of stuff. There are performance improvements as well, with GNOME implementing a separate thread for the mouse cursor, so latency is reduced on Wayland. There's better responsiveness. And there's, of course, all the performance improvements coming from newer drivers, the newer kernel, that Fedora users will benefit. There are not many Fedora-specific changes, because they had a new installer planned and a move to DNF5, which is the latest version of their package manager, since DNF4 is pretty damn slow on Fedora. Uh, the new installer is going to be pushed back to Fedora 40, because while it's moving nicely, it's still not ready. Not a huge deal, but the old one is really not that easy to understand for newcomers, so having a new one is going to be good. And DNF5 is not ready either, but since it wasn't ready for Red Hat Enterprise 10, it also means that Fedora will not ship it in Fedora 40, but they're going to ship it in Fedora 41 because they sort of follow each other in terms of what they ship and what they bring. Uh, and so it's going to be for Fedora 41, which means like a full year 
to use the NF4 still. It's, it's not a bad package manager, it's just pretty damn slow. Now, on top of that, with the release of Fedora 39, there were two laptops uh, that Fedora collaborated on with Slimbook, which is a Linux hardware vendor based in Spain. I already talked about them quite a lot, maybe not on this podcast, but on the channel uh, I did. So they provide two laptops, the Fedora Slimbook 16 and the Fedora Slimbook 14. They are both very nice aluminium and magnesium alloy in terms of chassis, which is very solid, but way lighter than aluminium. They look really good. They're all silvery and nice, a very clean design. They ship with the vanilla install of Fedora 39. The only main differences is that the 14 inch, interestingly, has a higher screen resolution than the 16 inch. Uh, They are like 3K for the 14 inch and 2K for the 16 inch. Uh, They have the same giant trackpad, an excellent keyboard in both cases, the exact same I.O. with Thunderbolt 4, a USB-C, micro SD card reader, uh, no, SD card reader, not micro SD, an HDMI port, barrel charger, but they also support uh, charging through USB-C. And they both use the Intel Core i7-12700H, and the 16-inch can use an NVIDIA RTX 3050 Ti, which is a very solid dedicated GPU for a lot of people. Uh, the display in both cases uh, refreshes at 90 hertz, and they've got very solid battery life as well. So it's interesting to have that, that sort of official Fedora hardware. Uh, I say sort of because it's not official official, it's a partnership to provide Fedora on specific laptops, but it's still very good. Uh, very, very nice laptops. I reviewed the 16-inch model on my channel, but I also reviewed the equivalent model from Slimbook, which is, I think, the Slimbook Executive 14 and Executive 16. So look on my YouTube channel if you want to see very detailed reviews of both of these laptops. You just slap a Fedora logo on the super key and on the back and a vanilla install of Fedora, and you get what those laptops can do. Now, finally, I want to talk a little bit about the Fediverse. Uh, You might remember that a few well-known services were poised to join the Fediverse. Uh, If you don't know what that is, it's basically this giant network of social network services. Uh, It's a network that lets stuff like Mastodon, PixelFed, Castopod, Diaspora, and a lot of other services talk with one another. It basically means that if you listen to this podcast, you could subscribe to this podcast on Mastodon and get all episodes in your feed without having to do anything specific. You don't have to add this podcast to a podcasting client if you don't want to. Uh, you could also like have your WordPress website uh, publish blog posts in an account that you can follow from Mastodon, stuff like that. So a bunch of bigger services were poised to join that Fediverse, and this included Tumblr. But unfortunately, it looks like Tumblr is in trouble. Uh, There's an internal memo that, of course, leaked, because all internal memos tend to leak these days. Uh, And this memo stated that the current 139 employees, well, most of them, that are working on the product at Tumblr and on marketing, would be switched to other divisions. No one will be let go. Team members can make uh, a list of their three preferred assignments inside Automatic, Uh, and be transferred to, well, whether that's possible or not will depend, but they can be transferred to various other services. Automatic is the umbrella parent company that owns Tumblr. I think they also own WordPress and a bunch of other, like, internet-related stuff. So this seems to be the result of multi-million investments not really netting the expected results for the site's growth and revenue, 
but this also might spell the end of the planned integration of Tumblr with the Fediverse. This specific feature wasn't mentioned anywhere in the internal memo because they weren't talking features, they were just saying we're gonna downsize, well, not downsize because they're not really firing anyone or letting go of anyone, but they're gonna like stop focusing so much investment on Tumblr because it's just not growing and not working, like people don't seem to care all that much apart from the people who already use it. So they're, they are not focusing on features in that memo. But I'm pretty sure that with a lot less people working on features on the product, this also means that integrating with the Fediverse is gonna be at the bottom of their priorities, unless they want to get some sort of boost in terms of notoriety and users by integrating with this thing, because the Fediverse has like, I think three or four million users in total. So it's it could be a healthy growth. I don't know how many users Tumblr has, but an influx of at least 4 million people who can communicate with your website and integrate it and follow stuff from it from other clients is not too bad. So maybe they still want to do this, but maybe it's also not at the top of their priority list. So I just wanted to mention it because that's something a lot of people were excited about and maybe it's just not going to happen now that they have virtually no one working on Tumblr anymore. Okay, now very quickly, we're gonna finish this with the gaming news with the most major piece of news being the release, well, the announcement of the Steam Deck OLED. It's not a brand new Steam Deck, it's the exact same design as the current one, the same triggers, controls, buttons, interface, everything, but it replaces the APU and the display and the battery. So it's still kind of different. The display is still 800 bits, 1280 by 800, but it's now OLED instead of the mid-range LCD the deck had, which wasn't very bright, colors weren't very saturated, it wasn't a great display. This one looks pretty freaking awesome. It's bigger, it's 7.4 inches instead of 7 inches. Uh, they just shortened the bezel, so the display is just more immersive. But it also supports HDR, which is very rare in these kind of small handheld products. And it goes up to 90 Hz, which means that in certain not too demanding games, you can play them really smoothly. And interestingly as well, the APU, while it's using the same base and architecture, it's still Zen 2, it's still from AMD, it's still 4 cores, it's still RDNA 2 graphics, it is now using a 6 nanometer process instead of a 7 nanometer process, so it should come with small gains in power consumption and heat generation, and it also updates the Steam Deck to Wi-Fi 6E. And they also increase the size of the battery from 40 watt hour to 50 watt hour. So with the OLED display saving battery when there's pure black being displayed, with the uh, smaller nanometer process of the APU, and with the bigger battery, I'm pretty sure you can expect better battery life on this device as well. This new thing, well, this updated thing, will ship beginning November the 16th, and the 512 gigs model starts at 569 euros, which looks like it's going to replace entirely uh, these range of Steam Decks. Basically, you're gonna have the basic Steam Deck. The first one is 419 euros. It's 250 gigs of SSD. It looks like they're getting rid of the previous SKU. Uh, there's the old 64 gig LCD model, it's now at 369 and it's just buy it until supplies last. There's the 512 LCD model at 469, 
also buy it while supplies last. But now, if you go to the Steam Deck website, immediately what you're going to see is the main model is 419 at 256 gigs of SSD. It's the LCD model. Then you have 569 euros for 512 gigs, and that's the OLED model with the newer APU and the bigger battery. And the one terabyte model is also OLED. It's 679, and it's got that uh, anti-glare coating, which the 512 gigs OLED model doesn't have. And it also has, of, your, of course, the, the new APU. So they're replacing the higher end of the Steam Deck with the OLED mod model. Uh, the, the older LCD models can still be bought, but only until supplies last. And they're keeping the entry-level 256 gigs uh, LCD. Interesting move. Uh, I didn't think we would see such a refresh that quickly, but I think it's really nice. I was not contacted to get a review in it. I don't expect I'll get one and I don't expect I'll buy an OLED Steam Deck unless my Steam Deck dies because I don't play it all that much and I just cannot justify like a, a 550 euros purchase. It's too expensive for what I do with it. My current Steam Deck is holding up and Honestly, just moving to an OLED screen, even though it's better and battery life is probably going to be better. I cannot justify that purchase. And still on the gaming side of things, we've got the release of Bazite Phase 2. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a Fedora and Ublue based distribution with solid hardware support and focus on gaming. It's an alternative to SteamOS for regular computers and also for the Steam Deck if you want that. It comes with NVIDIA drivers pre-installed if you want them. It also comes with various drivers for Xbox controllers pre-installed. It brings WayDroid for Android app support, although that doesn't work with NVIDIA, as I mentioned previously when talking about Ubuntu Touch. It has options to use the Nix package manager or the Brew package manager, and it has a bunch of software optimizations specifically for gaming. It looks like a very nice option for gamers that want to stick to Linux, and that want to replicate the Steam Deck's experience on any gaming computer, like what I did with my SteamOS console using Holo ISO, which is basically SteamOS, but just using the open source thing. It's not from Valve, but it's the exact same operating system. A very interesting thing, Bazite. A lot of people have recommended I give it a shot, and I probably will on a gaming laptop, uh, at least at some point on the Linux channel. It looks interesting, and I want to get my hands dirty with that Ublue thing, it's a project from Jorge Castro, which used to work uh, for Canonical, and it's basically bringing the, the cloud-native aspect of containers and immutable stuff to any Linux system. They provide a bunch of images uh, based on Fedora with a lot of stuff on them. I need to explore it to understand it better and to, to just learn how it works. Uh, but it's basically a, a turnkey solution for more stability, for more reliability on your distro, less messing around. If you're okay with using something more immutable and more cleanly separated with the latest stack of Flatpak apps and stuff like that, it looks very interesting. So maybe I'll give it a shot using Bazite and we'll see if that's interesting enough for me to cover in a dedicated video. So anyway, this will conclude this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. As always, if you want to learn more about any of these specific topics, I left links to all the articles I used to make this show in the show notes. I also left links to help support the show in the show notes. And there are also links to our sponsor, Thunderbird, if you want to give it a shot because it's a really excellent application. So thank you all for listening. 
and I guess you will hear me in the next one. Bye!